I'm so glad I made that awkward for everybody this morning because it's going to get more awkward. Okay, everybody stand up if you can. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I promise we are going to worship the Lord, but first I'm going to tell you a story about a possum, okay? <laughs> it's weird. Possums play dead, okay? I learned in the years of somehow learning about possums that they play dead when they are hit with trauma. And they play dead to, like, escape, right? But when they get back up from having been traumatized, they shake violently, like, to release the trauma from their body. Humans, I learned, store our trauma. We tuck it in, and we carry it with us like it belongs to us. I think, maybe, possums are smarter than we are. Because <laughs> I don't really want to be carrying around stored up traumas. So amidst our worshiping the Lord today, we're going to move. Okay? We're going to shake. We're going to stomp. We're going to clap. I'm not a clapper, guys. I'm the worst clapper in the room. So if I'm clapping, you can clap too, okay? <laughs> um, the songs that we are singing today song by the name of praise it is joyful it is rising sound it is exactly what you want your praise to be unto the lord so when that word comes up praise we're gonna pray we're going okay and then in the beginning of that song there's a little bit of a chant it happens again at the end of the song and it goes a little something like this i'm gonna show it to you so you don't feel awkward okay um someone clap with me <laughs> thank you all right it goes Hey, nice. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Great. You're doing a good job. Look at you. Okay, now that we've moved a little bit, we made it a little bit awkward. We talked about possums. We're going to we're going to praise the Lord. Is that okay? All right, let's go. Clap. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord.
submit to sorrow Lord God Father even though it's dark even though it's weary even though the days are long Lord God even though the mountains are high the wall seems impossible the answer seems improbable Father we know we will not stop praising your name you're worthy you're the king of kings and lord of lords if the grave couldn't hold you down if death and hell and sin itself could not conquer you there is not one thing that we're facing not one area of lack, not one area of sickness, not one mental issue, Lord God, not one emotional strife that is too powerful for you in the name of Jesus. We're going to praise you. We're praising you now. We're going to praise you now. We're going to praise you now. In the midst of it all, we're praising you. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy. You're worthy. The answer isn't worthy. You are worthy. Jesus, you're worthy. We join in with the angels that say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth, Daddy, is filled with your glory. When we can't see it, glory's still there. When we don't feel it, glory's still there. When the darkness is in our eyes, glory is still here. Your name is glory. Holy Spirit, come and move, I pray, this morning. You know, every... Every need, every issue spoken and unspoken, every heavy, every heavy weight on every heavy heart in this room, every unspoken sadness, every unvoiced, disappointed expectation, every debt and disillusionment that we face, Lord God, you know them all.
You're the answer to it all. Today we surrender. We surrender, we surrender. Come on church, we surrender. We surrender. We refuse daddy to be like that possum that Margo talked about and play dead. Just lay down and give up. When we're afraid, we're going to rise up. When the enemy comes in like a flood, you will raise up a standard against it. When the wall of Jericho seems too big, you've got to shout a praise to bring it down. When Goliath stands in our way, you've got a smooth stone, Lord God, that was in your river of life to take him out. We believe. We believe. We speak to our soul and say, believe. We speak to our fear and say, be gone. We speak to the lies of the enemies and say, be silenced in Jesus' name. Church, Jesus taught us how to pray. And I believe there's something powerful, so deeply powerful in the Lord's prayer of simplicity. So we're going to pray that prayer together. If you don't know that prayer, it's cool. It's going to be on the screen. But this is how he taught us to pray. And this is how I want us to pray. Not as a religious ritual. Not as a moment of liturgy. But as a moment of faith. As a moment of proclamation. As a moment of victory. Come on, will you pray with me? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen and amen. Give God a shout of glory. Hallelujah. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, Daddy. Woo! Hallelujah! What a God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty, that's what we are praising about this morning. What a mighty God you serve. It doesn't matter what we're going through. Though darkness in the darkest hour is here, He is the light that chases away the darkness. See, here's the truth. Just because we can't see an answer doesn't mean there's not an answer. The stone was in front of the, empty, uh, in front of the tomb. Just because the, 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 the disciples couldn't see God moving didn't mean God was not moving. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean God's not in it. There's stuff we got to praise for, praise through. Just because there's things, if, if we don't praise through them, those lies speak to us about who we are and who God is. Rather than we allow the praise of God to determine who God is to us. Man, there's so... See, I don't believe that the angels in heaven praise God 24-7 because God needs the praise. I believe it's the right thing to do in the heavenlies because he's worthy of praise. And because it reminds us to praise him regardless of our circumstance. Well, church, you're in the right place. What a great, great, what a great prayer time you just had. What a great proclamation time you had to God today. 
And I believe I'm going to say amen to you, with you, about what you just prayed. There's some answers on the way. There's some deliverance on the way. There's some healing on the way. I know there's some friends that are watching right now that need healing in the name of Jesus. We are believing for that healing. We are praying for that healing. We are thanking God for that healing in the name of Jesus. Come on, our God is a healer still. And I just want to say, look, thank you for being here today. If this is your first or second time at Connect, thank you for coming. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you for coming back. If you've come back, thank you for being here. Look, we, we, we want to get to know you a little bit more. We would love to hear your story and, and, and enable you to know a little bit more about our story. So up on the screen, you're going to see a, a QR code. You'll see that QR code all around church. Sometime today, flick on it. Go to it. It's going to let, let you know what's happening here at Connect, but also let us know what's going on in your life because your story matters to us. It really, really, really does. One of the things that matters to us a lot is generations. I love to watch our children worship. I love it. I love to watch children. There's something about the joy that happens when kids break free in worship. And parents... A lot of that is because you are worshiping and they're watching you worship. So, look, Jamie, I know you're over there with the thought sign. Thank you. Thank you and Kara for, for, for loving our kids. Thank Pastor Kevin and Lisa for loving our kids. Kiddos, you can follow Jamie on out with a sign. Give them a hand as they're going. And everybody who's serving back there, we love you guys. Give somebody next to you a high five. Tell them it's good to see them here at Connect as you're finding your seat as well. Love you. Love it. Love you, dude. Mm. I see a Ravens jersey in the house. We'll have uh, prayer for deliverance for that after service. <laughs> see a Detroit Lions shirt over here. My wife repping because our boy Zach Ertz got signed. Come on, that's right. Um, <laughs> I love that we can have fun in church, by the way. Like, this, is, this should be a, a place where we learn how to do life really well together. And um, so before we even hop in, because I'm ready to hop into the Word today, I'm going to ask your permission to talk honestly about a subject that affects all of us. Um, and it's, it's something that at its core... Uh, I think can be mishandled. It has been mishandled. Um, you've probably experienced it in your life at some level when it comes to church. And uh, it's important that we talk about it um, so that we have clarity from God on the expectations both uh, that we have of God and God has on us. And that we have on church, by the way. Because I promise you, as many people that are in this room, there are different opinions. Everybody, that's that many different opinions about what church should be like. What's missing, what it should have, how it should be, how, what it means to be a really Christian, a uh, Christian on fire for God. All of that is in this room. Um, and so I want to just have a, a conversation about that. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you for being you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for giving God a go. Thank you for just saying, you know what? In the middle of January, when it's rained for 938 days, 
Anyone else over it? I'm over it. I'm like, I, I like it, it's, if it's raining like one day, I'm depressed. We're on day like 75. I'm done. But thank you. Thank you for showing up. And I mean that because church is important. Church is essential. Being a community of faith is part of who God has called you to be and has positioned you to be in this area. So as we talk today, keep that in mind as well. All right, are you ready for the word? Oh, no, come on. I, I'm told, I just told you it's, it's rainy and dark. I need some, I need some, Margot brought energy today. I don't need no possums laying down. I, I need some, I need some shaking it, shaking it. Let's go. So look, uh, we're going to continue in our series today um, uh, about uh, talking about the questions that Jesus had to face. And um, so since you brought your Bible, why don't you open with me to the book of Luke. Luke is the third, Luke chapter two. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, it's, he, Luke is a disciple of Jesus. He's a doctor, a historian. He's awesome. He's a phenomenal writer. Um, and he helps us understand uh, who Jesus is and the marvelous nature of Jesus. Um, and if you need a title for today, following along with the series, it's What's Up With That? What's Up With That? Come on, have you ever been blindsided by someone's response to you? Like you thought that they were going to respond one way and they responded a different way or they didn't respond at all? Maybe you've gone like the extra mile and you thought that you deserved a different response and their response was like, and you were like, what is up with that? What, what do we do, though, when that person who does that to us is God? When God isn't responding the way that we think he should respond to us, right? To our situation, to our pain, to our giving, to the sacrifices we've made in his name, right? Or maybe he's doing something else with someone else and not you. You're not a part of it. And there's a little why them and not me. Right? God's doing something. What's up with that, God? If you've ever felt that way, can I just tell you, you're in good company. Because in the text we're going to look at, this is the attitude of Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph. Oh, I said something bad, not nice about Mary. Oh, right? I know all the Catholics in the room are going, oh, right? Oh, no, not Mary. Yes. They brought him to the temple when he was only 12, right? So he's not a man yet by Jewish standards. They didn't need to bring him. Every person who was 13 years or older, every male had to go to the, to the temple during the feast, but they didn't need to bring him to the feast of Passover on this time. And on the way home, many of you know the story, he disappears. And for three days, they look everywhere for him until they find him at the temple. And here's the deal. We love to clean this up. I need to take the rose-colored glasses off because Mama Bear is having none of it. She's like, what is up with this, Jesus? Where have you been? I've been at every hospital. I've called the police. I've looked at every ditch, right? I've looked at every river, every creek, right? How could you do this to us in front of all of our relatives? Do you know what Aunt Esther's going to tell people when we get home about how, how bad of a parent we really are? I thought I was a better mother than this. What's up with this, Jesus? Now nah, that's in the Greek there. You just got to read it. But I wonder how many times we felt like we were in that same position with Jesus. 
I invited my friends. I told people you were a healer. I blogged about how you were my provider. And here you are doing this instead. What's up with that, Jesus? Why did they get healed and I didn't? They've got a job and I'm still unemployed. What's up with that, Jesus? But in Jesus' response to his own mother, holds the truth both about our expectations and his assertion to us as his disciples of what he will always be up to. What's up with that? This is what he's up to. His father's business. His father's business. The Bible says in verse 46, after three days they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to him and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers, and we could talk about that for, for hours. But when uh, they, but then his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Like, in our minds, Son, why have you treated us so? But I ain't know no mama who's been looking for her son for three days that's speaking like that. Boy, why are you treating me this way? Behold, your father and I, Luke's being nice, have been searching for you. If a great, we've been in great distress. And underline Jesus' response. And he said to them, why do you seek me? Question he asked you and I. You know I must be about my father's business. Now, I love, before we've been unravel, uh, un unravel this even further, I love the fact that this is a three-day revelation of Jesus. On the third day, Jesus is revealed. On the third day, this is a shadow of what's going to happen. He, he starts his ministry the way he's going to end it. There's a three-day revelation that surprises and astonishes people. But what even shows it even more is the majesty of Jesus, the wisdom that is far beyond not only his years, but their wise understanding, his compassion to sit with those who would question him and many who would eventually reject him and still give them the saving truth of the gospel, right? And his deep conviction that the Father's business was his business and deserved his utmost attention. But here's where... The issue is, see, the challenge in modern Christianity in these moments is this, that believers often feel like Jesus isn't treating us like we deserve, but disciples are faced with the real question of are we really treating him the way he deserves? Why aren't you treating me the way that I deserve, Jesus? Look, I came to church, I showed up, I was there, Susie wasn't there. Bobby wasn't there. Brian, well, I was there. I was in the front. I was there. Why are you treating me like this? But disciples are saying, wait a minute. The real question is, how am I treating him? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, Paul says, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your life. How, which way do we expect honor to flow? Down to us or up to him? The issue is, my friends, we're witnessing in the, what we're witnessing in this moment is a collision of two ideologies, two ways of thinking that affect all of us. These ways of thinking live in each one of us, right? The soul-led living versus spirit-led discipleship. And just like we have a battle for truth inside of us that we've talked about last week, we also have a battle of expectations. Who does the expectation fall on? Me or him to bring the honor. 
in our soul, which is our mind, our will, our emotions, that selfish nature that we all have, it leans towards the thinking that Jesus is mine and should be following me wherever I go. Jesus is mine and should be blessing me and following me and, 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 and taking care of me when I, when I walk out. He should be following me. This is the attitude of Jesus' parents and his relatives. Look at how they respond. They respond with frustration and disappointment because he is not following them. Come on, Christian. Maybe his parents thought, well, you know, we were doing you a favor. We were blessing you by bringing you to the feast when we didn't need to. You didn't, we didn't need to do this for you. We were blessing you. That entitles us to some sort of different behavior from you, Jesus. Come on, how many of us have fallen into the trap of thinking that just because we've been doing things for Jesus, that it entitles us for him to act differently towards us? I love this Greek word for the word distress. You've caused us distress. It's the Greek word for actually you've caused pain to us. You've really hurt us. You hurt me deeply, right? That's some good guilt. Because hold on for a moment. I hurt you. I didn't leave you. You left me. This is a home alone moment. They went on vacation and left Jesus. Come on. I, anybody remember the old show? Danielle and I used to like it. Like, it was called Everybody Loves Raymond. And if you never saw that show, the mother-in-law, right, she was crazy. She was always guilt, right? She was guilt on top of guilt and on top of guilt. For one day, Deborah, the daughter-in-law, says to her husband, man, that guilt machine's got a lot of miles on it, but it runs like new. Come on, anybody know anybody like that? Come on, Christian, that guilt machine of self-righteousness has got a lot of miles on it, but still running like new in all of us. Come on, God, don't you know what I've done for you? If you've ever faced this in the natural, though, can I just set, ho hopefully say something in the natural to, to set someone free today? Most people will relate to you from the place they had the most control over you. Not who you are, but from the place that they controlled you the most, had the most influence over your life, could have the most say about who you should be. And the issue is, here's the issue, here's the issue that handicaps you and I as people, if we're honest, and I've had to fight this, okay? This is just being honest. I think here's the problem. Sometimes we're more interested in not burning the bridge with the person who wants to keep us who we used to be than burning the bridge to who we used to be so that we can become the person we've been made to be. We are more interested in not burning the bridge with the person who wants to keep us who we used to be Rather than burning the bridge to who we used to be, come on somebody, so that we can become who God's made us to be. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love, by the way, you just don't love me, you don't love me, you don't love me. Paul said, when I was a child, I acted like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, when I got mature, when I grew into God, I put childish things away. I changed, mama. I changed, Aunt Susie. I'm not the same boy I was when I was seven. I put the childish things away, and I got to let you know, I'm not afraid to burn that bridge because I'm not going to be that boy. But here's the truth. The truth is, too many times we are acting like Jesus' mother 
when Jesus' mother should have been acting like Jesus' disciple. We're like, I'm going to act like Mary. I'm going to demand something from him. No, no, she should have been acting like a disciple. The reality is spirit-led discipleship is realizing that I am Jesus's and should be doing whatever he is doing. The underlying question that we never ask ourselves that Jesus is actually answering, asking is this. Why were you not with me? Why were you in such a hurry to get home after church? I mean, uh, why were you so worried to get home after the feast? To get back to normal life, you didn't even notice you were not with me. Not, I was not with you. You were not with me. Now, in the natural, that sounds absurd. Because all of us are thinking, well, he's a child. Of course he should have been with his parents. He's Jesus. He is setting a picture for all of us to follow, and he's not giving family the exception. I know, but they're family. I know, but they're family. Jesus said, not even family gets the exception from me. See, the kingdom is a kingdom of opposites. The last shall be first. The, the greatest shall be a servant. Uh, forgive 70 times seven, not vengeance is mine. That's an opposite. Come on, somebody. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it for my sake. Jesus starts with the question to Mary and to us. Why do you seek me? And our answer reveals our true heartbeat towards the question. Do you seek me for what I can bring to you, add to your party, keep you safe from what others will do or say about you? My friends, this is what sells. This is why so much of the messaging of church today is Jesus will bring it to us if you seek him. And it's true, Jesus blesses you and he provides for you because that's who he is, not because you deserve it. We're not entitled to any of it. Or do you seek me so that you can follow what I'm doing? And what I'm doing is being about my father's business. This is a truth that I hope will help somebody. But life will get so much easier when we are at peace with being misunderstood. Your life will get so much easier when you come to grips and get, start living in peace with the fact that you're going to be misunderstood. Jesus, completely at peace right now. He's at peace, but they don't understand where, what he was doing and why he was there. He's at peace with it. I know for so much of my life, I've been trying to explain myself or my beliefs or my boundaries or my stance to other people and hope to try to move them to understanding it. But what's become crystal clear to me is that they may even believe that that's the reason that I do things. But their issue is still how it inconveniences them. They may, Mary believed, Jesus believed what he was doing, but it still inconvenienced her. That was her issue. It happened in Peter in Matthew 16. Do you remember uh, Jesus said, he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, you're awesome. Upon this rock, I'll build my church gates. Hell won't, won't prevail against it. Woohoo! this is awesome. Then Jesus says, by the way, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, be arrested. They're going to kill me. I'm going to raise from the dead. Peter says, not on my watch. That will, I will never let that happen to you. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. What Peter's saying is, that would inconvenience my plan, Jesus. 
I know you believe that's the right way to go, but that would inconvenience me kicking the Romans out and taking my seat of power. But Jesus was about the Father's business even when his closest friends, his parents, his family thought it would inconvenience their lives. So here's where the rubber meets the road. When we're talking about living out and being about the Father's business. So can we take a breath for a moment? Can we just talk for a couple minutes and have an honest conversation? Maybe I can share honestly from a pastor's perspective. Maybe each one of us can be honest about how we have dealt with this topic from a personal discipleship perspective, being about the Father's business. Because the reality is, when this topic comes up, pastors ramp up. We're going to talk about being about the Father's business today. The Father's business. The Father's business. Pastors get excited, and we brace for impact because we're waiting for the ask. Or because we've already been there and done that. Or maybe our life is already so full and we've already been burned out before. And we, are, we prepare ourselves to hear, to hear all about what needs to be done at church or how we need to give more or serve more in order to really be about the Father. If you were really about the Father's business, you would give, serve, and be here more. I have both preached that message and been the recipient of that message. So I understand it. That needs to get broken. Because that is broken. Here's how it tends to go. And maybe you've experienced this at different levels. If you've been at this church, you've experienced all of these levels. When church is small, we're talking about the Father's business, pastors start to focus on money and volunteers. Money and volunteers, right? That's the Father's business in this stage because, after all, we're seeing all the holes in the net that will, keep, that will keep people leaving church, keep them from staying at church. And I know that we want to talk about it really being about, well, people using their gifting and, and healthy people, but it's not. It's really making sure that Sunday morning stays growing because that's the Father's business. We have to grow church. And for us, we're kind of like, yeah, I like it small. Uh, I feel like I know most of the people. Now, I know there's not uh, maybe enough people that uh, kind of look like me. Maybe my, 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 my color or my age group or my kids or my life situation. But, you know, then inside of us in that stage, there's always this. But you know what this church really needs? Do you know what we really need here at this church? Do you know what the church really needs to do? Let me, this is what the church really needs. And sometimes those are real holes and sometimes they're just what we would really like. And those things, both from us and from the pastors, become the focus of what it means to be about the Father's business. Then church gets bigger, and pastor starts focusing on people and programs. And people, because more people come in, people bring issues. Somebody say amen. They bring issues, and, and then we start to try to deal with issues and solve the issues from the pulpit so that people won't leave. And so that when you see people leaving, you understand they have issues. And then we have to add more programs 
Because after all, we have to make sure that people find what they're looking for so that they stay and keep coming to church on Sunday. Because there's a lot of churches out there, and there's a lot of competition. So I have to sell to you Sunday. I got to make it worth your while for showing up as if Jesus isn't enough. But come on, let's be honest, for us, it's like, yeah, finally, we've got, you got stuff for my kids, and you got stuff for te- my teens, and I'm glad to see more people like me, but there's always so much going on now. I always have something being asked of me, and it just doesn't feel as intimate as it did before, and all of that becomes the focus of what it means to be on the Father's business. That church gets really big. And the pastor starts talking about campuses and vision and taking territory, hallelujah, which makes pastors excited, which requires more volunteers and more money and more time. But we begin to see less personal return. Pastor's not as round as much. It doesn't feel like I'm volunteering anymore. It feels like I have a full-time unpaid job on top of my job in life that I have. And when I can't do that level of commitment volunteering, it means that I'm not a good person. I'm really not about the Father's business. I love, I love what we're doing, but I wish it wasn't so much. And the attitude from churches, suck it up, buttercup, because we are about the Father's business. And we are all at every stage of that, like what is up with that it's why we go from this church to that church to this program to that program and you go to every church planting seminar and they're telling you how to grow church and not develop people welcome to the welcome to the trap of the hamster wheel of modern christianity hop on and run until you're too tired to fall off the challenges in the modern church is that the formulation of what is the Father's business has been a compromise between the perceived needs of the church and the perceived needs of our souls. And in the midst of it, we have made the church the place, the stage, the platform, the vehicle, the boardroom from which all of the Father's business ventures are handled. The church becomes, this is what the church needs to do. This is what the church needs to become. This is what we need in our church. And the church becomes the vehicle through which the Father's business is handled. And as a result, we have robbed from God. We have robbed from our neighbors. We've robbed from our kiddos. We've robbed from our own spiritual well-being. We've robbed from the Holy Spirit actually leading us and moving through us in our daily lives. Come on, somebody. We are are now the anti-Chick-fil-A. We're only open on Sundays. Malachi 3.8 says this, will a man rob God? And I know we're going to say the answer to that he's talking about is tithes and offerings. No, what he's talking about is resources that have been given and misspent, not handled well, spent on our own pleasures. And God is talking to priests and people in that verse, and they're corrected for not stewarding the things of God correctly. The hard truth that I've had to wrestle with, and I hope you'll wrestle with where you are in this. Like, because you're called, as well as I am, to be about the Father's This ain't a pastor laity issue. And no clergy laity thing in the Bible. That's a 
different church dynamic. The hard truth is that church has robbed from the Father's business by making it a brick and mortar business. Making the kingdom into the church rather than the church being an intricate part of the kingdom. Come on, the bride is an essential part of the wedding, but the bride is not the wedding. Sorry, ladies. (laughs) Right? The bride, she's not. And as believers, if we're honest, we've robbed from the Father's business by desiring that to be the model for how the business is run. Because to be honest, we want to go to church. We want to go to work. Do my job. Leave it at that. Maybe be the employee of the month or get a raise for doing something special at my job. But then I want to return and leave work at home. I want to leave church at church. What is up with that? Yes. Romans 12.1 says, present yourself as living sacrifices unto God, holy and pleasing. It is your reasonable act of worship. Yes, Psalm 100 says, serve the Lord with gladness. Yes, Acts 6 talks about deacons and serving in the church. Yes, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake the gathering of the brothers together. Yes, Psalm 92.13 says, if you're planted in the house of the Lord, you will flourish in the courts of our God. Yes, Psalm 84 verse 10 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. But... We have made that the end all be all. We are like a one-eyed squirrel. We're only seeing half the tree. Wondering why we're starving because we can't see all the fruit on the other branches. Danielle shared the story with me this week about a, a, a lady, a housewife from New Jersey. Her name was Carolyn Guest. Carolyn um, had a neighbor she was trying to win to Jesus, and her neighbor was going away for a while, and she asked Caroline if she wouldn't mind uh, watching her shows, her soap operas, um, and writing it down. This was before we had DVRs. Writing it down. Some of you don't know that time. There was a time before DVRs. And writing it down, and then they could have coffee afterwards, and they could catch up on the shows, right? And so Caroline's thinking, this is how I'm going to win my friend to Jesus, So she starts watching the shows, and not to miss anything, she starts watching them early. And while she's watching the soap opera before that soap opera, the spirit starts moving on her about an actress in the show she wasn't even supposed to be watching. Her name was Marcy Walker. Something started stirring inside of her. Caroline started to write Marcy letters about her life with Jesus and explaining why she was writing these letters and how Jesus could change her life and how Jesus loved her. And told her she wasn't a fan, she wasn't into soap, she was just doing this for her neighbor. She wrote these letters every week for seven years and never once got a response. Never once got a response. But one of the days when Marcy was going through some hard times in her life, in a dark moment, she went back to those letters that, Marcy, uh, that, that Caroline had written, and she began to read about the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, and, the, and, who, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ. Then she found a church, and she found a husband. And guess who was one of the bridesmaids at that wedding? Carolyn Geist. Carolyn Geist. She was the bridesmaid. But that's not even the end of the story. Now, Mark, now Marcy Walker Smith is a pastor at one of the largest churches in our country today. But what if Caroline had been like, look, I have shoulder to shoulder at that time. 
I've got my mom's a tots group at that time. Uh, I'm sorry. I'd like to watch the show that week for you, but I really can't because, because you know, mom's a tots group won't be the same without me. And, and I just want, you know, my pastor will be mad about me. And, and I got to be about my father's business. She was about her father's business. It's not an either or. It's an end both. Neither Marcy nor Caroline's neighbor ever came to church with her. But in loving her neighbor and following the prompting of the Holy Spirit to write those letters, she was about the Father's business. The issue is, if we're honest, in this last generation, my sweaty hands just uh, made my screen go four times bigger. Which is not helpful. <laughs> the issue is in our last, it's the only to say this line. Uh, and then in, our, in the last few generations, where I, when our generations have moved away from being church-centric, pastors, including myself, out of fear of losing people from coming to church and losing people to the world, have started to control what we can control, which is Church. And we've made building the church be the end all and be all of the kingdom. It's something I've had to repent for and something that I continue to struggle with all the time in my life. Because growing church is important. But it ain't the end all and be all of the kingdom. But the truth is as believers, our souls, we kind of like that on one hand. Because we like to know how to be good. We like to know how to be better than others, right? How to live a good life, how to feel good about ourselves, what to do in order to get God to bless us. But then on the other hand, we really don't like that because we rebel against the rules, the ones that are especially the ones that ask for personal sacrifice and crucifying ourselves for the kingdom because after all, it's me and Jesus and, and I'm a good person and, and I don't and we have our list of what we don't do, but he is about the Father's business. Are we? Jesus is still asking us this question, why are you seeking me? I'm about my father's business. And the reality is the result of seeking him is always finding him being about his father's business. At our business, up in our business, at home, in the neighborhood, in our conversations, in our meditations, in our expectations, he is about his father's business. So here's the truth. The father's business is found in engaging with our divine assignments where we are when we're there. There are divine assignments where we are, when we are there, whether we're at church or in the marketplace, at home or at the gym. There are divine assignments that God has for us. And how do we engage? It is about manifesting and bringing the understanding and the manifestation of the kingdom into that space. That's what Jesus was doing. He was bringing the understanding of the kingdom of God. He was manifesting the love and the grace of the kingdom of God into that space. It's like the woman at the well in John 4. We've been talking about it at fours and shoulders to shoulder, which is our men and women's groups, right? Jesus comes to this woman at the well. He was compelled by the Spirit to go there. He didn't need a crew, a camera, or to create an atmosphere. He just met her in her pain, showed her compassion. He didn't need anything from her. He revealed the Messiah to her and walked away without even knowing what her result was going to be. He lived out his divine assignment in that moment and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. But my friends, the key to this is for us to be living out our Father's business is to develop a real relationship with the Holy Spirit and allow Him 
to help us see what Jesus is inviting us into. That's the difference between soul-led living and spirit-led discipleship. You can say, but I don't know. Awesome. James 1 verse 5 says, when you don't know, ask. God gives liberally. He's not trying to hold it back from you. Let me just, here's, here's an idea. If you're a parent and you've got a passion for youth, can I just encourage you? Start a Bible study with your kids. With your kids. Just give it a go. It doesn't even have to grow. Give God a chance. Right? Even if it's just your kids, you're training them up in the way of the Lord. Awesome. If you're in the marketplace, grab one or two people, maybe once a week, and pray with them. At your lunch, grab some believers at work and just say, can we pray once a week during the lunch hour? It doesn't need to be a church thing to be okay. Three Hebrew boys hopped in the fire and changed the nation. In the kingdom, there is no division of sacred and secular. I'm almost done. The early, in the early church, everything was sacred. Judaism was not a temple-based religion. It was an all-encompassing religion that also worshipped at the temple. They had rules about how to wash your hands, how, the type of clothes we could wear, how and who we could entertain in our own house. There was sacred life at home that carried over into temple worship when they were there. We have it reversed. We are trying to make our time in the temple so sacred to give, serve, and worship so hard in an hour and 20 minutes that somehow it will cross over into our secular lives. And it doesn't. It's why you're frustrated. It's why you're merry right now. Frustrated and disappointed. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 6 that the ark was in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And while the ark was in Obed-Edom's house, everything prospered. And then it went into the temple, and then the Spirit filled the temple. It was in the house, then went to the temple, and the Spirit blessed both. Genesis 14, 14 says, Abraham's nephew Lot gets captured by an army led by four kings. He takes the 318 men born and trained in his house, and they defeat an enemy led by four kings. What is started, come on somebody. What has started in the house, Jesus did this in the midst of people. I know we think, well, it's in the temple, like it's in some closed-off seminary classroom. But the Passover feast drew hundreds of thousands of people from all over. Every, every male, 13 years old and older, needed to come from all over the empire. And he met them in the temple because that's where they were. And it was in the outer court because women were there. Mary spoke. The, he met them in the place where everybody could be, in the midst of people. So yes, what we see is Jesus both in the house of God as well as positioned in the, as well as positioned in the midst of people to be about his Father's business. Let me give you this real close. What would Paul look like in today's church? Paul in the modern church. You want to be on fire for God? You got to be a church planter, a missionary. You, you, you have to go out and heal people. Nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. Should be doing that. But the Bible says that Paul also was a tent maker. Just to be among the people. Just to get to know people, to talk to them about God. He would walk through the city and just try to look for people. Come on, Acts 16, read it. He walks through the city and finds people to talk to about Jesus. He eats with people in their homes, stay with me, and have conversations with them. 
And he was just being himself, which was a follower of Jesus. He didn't need a pamphlet from church to invite him to church or some cool new series to entice them, some program to get them to come. He was about the Father's business because that's who he was. And he lived out his divine assignment. How about Lydia? Lydia in Acts 16 says that she was a, 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 a seller of purple cloth. That means she was well off. She dealt with royalty. Purple robe, purple cloth was only bought by royalty. She was well off. In modern day, here's her gifting. Hallelujah, you're a businesswoman. You are, come on, somebody. You're a bi- you, can, you can finance the building of the church. Ain't nothing wrong with that. However, Lydia, because she has a gift of hospitality, opens her home to have a Bible study in her home. Out of that Bible study, that becomes the first church of Philippi. They were not planting a church. Come on, somebody. She was using her gift of hospitality to live out her divine assignment in that moment. That is the Father's business. Think of all the possibilities of what our life, our neighborhood, our family unit, our church, our marketplace, our spiritual lives could look like if we found ourselves living in the divine assignments of the Father's business. Jesus is still asking, why do you seek me? Because I'm living out the Father's business. Will you follow me? And do likewise. And when we watch someone's shows for them or send notes of encouragement or have someone over for an unexpected meal or get up early to help lead people into worship or take time to meet someone in their place of pain by the well, maybe they will say, man, that was so nice. What's up with that? And we will know that we were just about the Father's business. Church is essential. Can't have a wedding without a bride. But she ain't the wedding. I don't know where you are. I've had to repent. You can say, oh, I was told all those things, Pastor, so it's really not my fault. If you applied them and did not check them against the Scripture, it is your fault. It's equal. How are we really living out the Father's business? Let's pray. John, can you just play for a few moments? I'm not even going to. Church, this is just, take a, I don't know, take a few moments. Maybe there's some stuff you got to just say, God, I'm sorry. And then there's some stuff that maybe you can just say, God, I'm in. Show me. Just ask for wisdom. I, I don't always know. I don't always know. Church isn't just a moment of receiving, it's a 
moment of responding. And Jesus gave out the communion. They had to receive it. And then eat it. Today, take, some, take a moment to receive, eat. Church, I'm sorry if you've been here from the beginning with us and many of you and I've already had conversations with you. I will never apologize for wanting the church to grow, but I will always apologize now and repent for making church growth the end all and be all, the focus, the pressure, the you've got to, you have to, if you really are sold out. The Spirit will let you know what being sold out for Jesus looks like to you. The Spirit will let you know. The Spirit will convict you when you know that you aren't, when you've compromised, when you've taken the easy road. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Daddy, we prayed that today. Let your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, we pray, let your kingdom come, your will be done. Help us to be about your business. Where we are, when we are. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes and our hearts. Be the balm of Gilead that heals those who have been burned and broken. Bring back those who have been broken and burned out. Restore the brokenhearted, Lord God. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Let us not forget that we were bought at a price and it's a joy to honor you with our lives. Forgive us for when our mama bear attitude rolled up in us towards you. Help us to be spirit-led disciples. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Look, lift up your hands with me if you will. If you desire something, if you desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to, to be Spirit-led, if you've already repented from being soul-led and being soul-driven and being selfish and, and, and just being moved by our emotions, and, but you want the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, ask and it shall be given. 
Seek and you're going to find them. In the name of Jesus, I pray right now for every hand lifted in this room, every hand lifted wherever you are online. If you're listening to this podcast and you and your heart are lifting up your hands, in the name of Jesus, I pray a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit to fall like the fire that fell on, on Pentecost. I pray for the Spirit of God to fall in this place, to fall on our lives, to set a blaze inside of us, a, a, a passion, a fire that we cannot extinguish, a, a passion that we cannot put out, Lord God, to seek you, to find you, to live for you, Lord God, where we are, when we're there. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives. Open our eyes to see your divine assignments. Release, Lord God, your giftings in us and through us into the world around us that they may know you, the glory of heaven. That our God is not dead. How can I keep that inside? My God is alive, Lord God. Give us a boldness through your spirit to bring that to our marketplace, our neighbors, our families, over our kiddos' lives. In the name of Jesus, we love you. We love you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we may never be the same again. In Jesus' name. Come on, and if you receive that today, just say amen and amen. Amen and amen. Can you give God some glory this morning? Hallelujah. Lord God, I thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, before Pastor Rick comes and closes, thank you. If you've been at Connect Church through any of those cycles or all of those cycles, thank you for staying. And thank you for your forgiveness. The problem is in every one of those cycles, those needs are real. but they can't be manipulated. They're real. Like we need money. Somebody say amen. <laughs> we need people to serve in the house. And I'm not gonna try to convince you that's the Father's business. That's your business with the Father. I have to give up control and trust that he loves us enough that he's gonna stir in people. That's, come on somebody, as a parent, that's hard to do. See, pastoring is parenting. It's hard as a parent to be like, I trust that my kids are gonna do the right thing. It's easier to follow them. Come on somebody, make sure on that date that they're doing the right thing. <laughs> Sitting seven rows behind them in the movie theater, right, with the hat pulled down low. I'm not saying anything, Dad, it's all good. <laughs> You've probably been burned out, I have been. You've probably been hurt, I have been. It's still about the Father's business. If you seek me, this is what I'm doing. Thank you for being even willing to entertain that.
and hearing what you needed to hear and not hearing what you don't hear and giving room for the Spirit to move. Just as we get ready to close out service, I'm going to ask Pastor Rick to come. He's going to encourage us in part of what that is, is our giving. So can you give him a hand as he's coming? I love this man. He's got such a passion for Jesus, such a desire to see the kingdom come.
great. Would you stand with me? I had one thing that I wanted to say, and it might not even be for everybody, but it's definitely going to be for some people. And it might be one of those things that you have to kind of like tuck away, and then all of a sudden it's going to show itself meaningful to your situation. But um, as you go about what Kyle was talking about, it's going to take some shifting of some situations and scenarios and dynamics in your relationships because that's where we live this out with people and when Kyle was preaching I was thinking about Jesus and um, I was thinking about the people that were his friends that could come up to him and be like you know you're not even 13 yet like you don't need to be here and we think of it as like Jesus but like Jesus was fully God and fully man so every part in him could have been like, <laughs> that's right, I'm not 13 yet. I don't want to be here either. Like, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll live this life that I'm called to live as soon as I have to. And the reason I say that is because there's always going to be people that don't understand this specific shifting time. If they knew you and met you with, by the time you're the new you at 20, they could figure out if that's someone they can have a relationship with. But they're going to go right now from having a relationship with the 12-year-old you, determining and deciding to live as the 13-year-old you. And not everybody likes that kind of shift. And it might actually look beautiful on you. People might actually, that appreciate what they're seeing, value that but not everybody that you want to value it will value it. And there's a lot of people that will be like, but you're just 12. Just, just dial it down a little bit. You know, you can do that a little bit later. So just remember that if Jesus was stirring inside of you today, specifically how to be about your father's business, and not even just with groups of people, but one-on-one, -on -one, Okay, so like that one individual at this place in your life, this one individual at that place of your life, you have to have the tenacity of understanding that that person has been assigned to you. They have not been assigned to me. They have been assigned to you. So anybody that thinks that you're better at your 12-year-old looking self has to become inconsequential to you because the assignment that's on your life God never asked for that person to chime in with their opinion on who you are supposed to be Jesus in flesh to. So I know we pray, but I actually want to pray for that because I understand that it's a little tricky because we love people and we also don't want to lose people. So God, I pray for spirits to be arrested in this place with an understanding, a new understanding about who has been assigned to their lives. And that the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to them in ways that they would not be able to turn away. Father, we as a people, we ask 
that we have those kinds of ears that would be able to hear you, that would be able to attune to you. Even when there's other voices trying to have our ear, God, I pray that we would be attuned to you because then we would know that we're making a decision either for you or against you. And God, I pray that the assignments on our lives rise up in importance because you have risen in importance to who you are to us, not just who we are to you, God, who we wish we could be to you, but who you are to us, Father. We reflect that in who we are to others and those who have been assigned to us, God. May we understand that we're speaking of eternities and let that have a weight, Father, that it hasn't had until today. In your name, amen. Amen. Have a beautiful week, church.